1: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Sports Today.
0: Hour number two of our radio program, Fantasy Sports Today, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Dan Strafford, Mike Fluitt. Find him on Twitter, at Mike Fluitt at Dan Strafford for myself. Coming up in hour number three of our show, you'll hear from George Kurtz filling in for me as I step away for hour number three, but you'll get uh, Mike and George through the uh, top of uh, the 11 o'clock hour and more here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Tons of content all day long. and. We turn our attention here, Mike, to uh, something that has become a, a spectacle unto itself. Uh, prop bets for the National Football League's Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. uh, it has become it's become crazy. And I remember probably 15, 20 years ago being at a Super Bowl party and someone saying, oh, you know, I, I, I bet the over on the national anthem and doing the What would you just say? <laughs> well, what, what what did you do? And having the discussion that they, you know, a, a book in Vegas when they're out there had it, and they did it, and it's gonna be fun. And we watched, and every year since then, we've we've had sort of friendly bets on over unders on the national anthem. It has blown up over the years. Uh, we're gonna go through some of our our uh, some of them here. What's some of your favorites? What are are you a prop bet guy? Or are you somebody who enjoys uh, these smaller wagers on specific outcomes, or are you somebody yeah. who likes to focus more? Okay, so you enjoy yeah, these absolutely, yeah.
1: I can tell you that I had some live prop bets uh, on championship weekend. One of them is still alive because I, I meant to get the Pats at plus 500, which they were at the beginning of the playoffs. Uh, but I have them at plus 400 right now. Yep. So I stand to win some money if the Pats win outright. No spreads involved. It's just it's effectively a money line future bet. So, um, so I have that still riding. Dane and I for fun put uh, uh, 25 bucks each on James Devlin to score two touchdowns that was at plus 10,000 so it was 100 to 1 we did not get that i told him that the reason we might not win is because of Burkhead so really the we, we should have done is just put money on Burkhead and that was actually 27 right. to 1 so we would have we would have made some good money there um I had the over on Traquan Smith, which I lost, but I had the over on Ted Ginn uh, at fifty-three and a half receiving yards. So that one long pass towards the end of the game that uh, Ginn caught, that put him over. He finished with 58 receiving yards. So I do like bets like that. I try to find the ones that are uh, a little bit of fun. I, I, yes, I went a little crazy with James Devlin. That was to have fun with the show for Dane, but... Look, VEASAN, which is a, a good, for those of you that are looking for uh, a resource for a lot of Vegas and sports betting information, VEASAN is a place to go. VEASAN.com. at Sprint Musburger's site. So, uh, clearly, I would tell you to go to DailyRoto.com first for some of the main stuff. But if you're looking to dive down deep, VEASAN will have, they have an 80-page downloadable prop bet uh, package. So clearly there's a lot that you can bet on. And I can just go, look, I can't tell you exactly what my favorite is yet, but right off the bat, the first page is will there be a successful two-point conversion. And you can get it at two to one, so it's plus 200. Uh, I think that's one that I like right out of the gate. There's been a lot of that in recent years. There certainly was one. There's more than one last year, so uh, I'm on board.
0: I, I like that one a lot because you're seeing the NFL change. You you are seeing coaches uh, and realize the math of the two point conversion, uh, and I think we've seen the rise of it. This is insane, Mike. This this document is uh, a crazy, crazy document crazy, right? of uh, prop bet fun. Uh, that if you were into it, uh, I would highly suggest. It, and I was making mention before. This does make for some local fun, too. You don't need to necessarily go uh, place wagers at uh, a local, uh, you know, you heard the Monmouth Park uh, advertisement earlier or, or something like that. You can do this at your, your Super Bowl party as well. Have some fun with some friends. Uh, use it as just a way to keep track of other things happening. And it's both the game and what I wanted to get your take on is how much do you like the the pregame prop bets, the cross sport prop bets, the the halftime show, the the all the the circus aspect prop bets. Do you get into those as well or is it just specifically to the game?
1: I'm a little bit I'm not a degenerate in any way, but I'm a little <laughs> bit more I I don't gamble that much. I have a I have fun with it, but um, I certainly do it more than I have done in the past. And I would say that I, I really, honestly, I try to approach it from a tactical standpoint. Sure. I I'd knock yourself out if you want to have fun with the coin toss or what the length of the national anthem is, but there isn't any real analytics that can go into telling you what it might be. So, right. uh, You are literally flipping a coin. I'd like my odds to be a little bit better than 50%, so uh, that's why I'll go with a a two-point conversion style or see what the over-unders are on some of the player props. I I would ask you, in general, it's minus two right now. Um, I wish I had been awake and jumped on the Pats when they came out at somehow uh, underdogs, but the money swung it very quickly over to them. Um, but I already have money on the Pats. I don't need to keep loading up on the Pats. I'm, I'm basically betting on the Pats because if they win, I want financial compensation. So that's the way I looked at it. And I did think that they were going to win uh, the Super Bowl before they even played the Chiefs. Uh, I I just would have had them there. Now, let me back up for a second. If they had played the Saints, it would have been a closer decision for me. Sure. But that being said, I was doubting the Saints – as we were getting closer, I didn't like the way they played against the Eagles. I did pick them to beat the Rams, but if I were actually placing a wager, it would have been money line bet on the Rams. I thought that plays for Championship Weekend, and I talked about this a lot, were taking the money line underdogs that's really the way you could have made money and really good money on a a championship weekend now it's hindsight's 2020 i'm just telling you that those are my thoughts before the game right now i think the pats win this game i think they cover the irony of all their run of championships is how close all the super bowls have been it's amazing every game
0: it Well, you hope that the the best teams get there and uh, that uh, in turn allows for a good game and a close game. I will say this. I I am unfortunately uh, in the same decision that I believe the Pats win. I think the Pats cover. Um, I think that uh, Sean McVay's time is still ahead of him. I think this Rams team will be back, uh, maybe not to the Super Bowl, but clearly uh, is one of the best teams in the league. Uh, If they can get that secondary figured out and uh, figure the right way to, much like the Chiefs, get those defensive stops when they most need them. I think they'll be fine. They've played good defense in the playoffs. uh, But I think the Pats win, and I think they win outright. I don't think this game goes over. Uh, Looking at the 57 over-under, I think we've seen a a little bit of uh, a dial back in the playoffs, obviously the uh, Chiefs-Pats notwithstanding. I think this game goes under. I think the Pats win. Um, But some of these prop bets, uh, I think, are intriguing on this doc you just shared, and I've seen uh, uh, some other uh, sites as well, on how many pass attempts... Will we see? Uh, because I think this is a game where that's an intriguing discussion to have. Uh, this is two teams that have shown that it will run the ball, Mike, and that they will uh, make the effort to quote unquote establish the run to sort of say that tongue in cheek. Uh, but you have an opportunity here uh, to look through and see uh, how many pass attempts Goff might uh, attempt. Will uh, Brady attempt a certain number? Do those intrigue you here at all? Or are you looking uh, more high level as uh, you look through the prop bets?
1: No, I I think that kind of stuff does interest me. You know what the crazy part of the Rams Saints game is? We looked at the pass attempts. The pass attempt over unders for both Breeze and Goff, excuse me, for both Breeze and Goff going into the NFC Championship game was 36.5 over under pass attempts. They ended regulation both with 36 on the nose. So to give you a <laughs> sense of how sharp Vegas gets late in the season, you have to be mindful of it. I picked the Ted Ginn and Traquan Smith props because Keith Kirkwood was out. So I thought I had an edge on... All I needed from Traquan Smith was like 28 yards. I thought that was a couple of catches. He didn't get them. He got one catch for 10 yards. Again, I thought, uh, because of the way the defense was going to move around, I thought he had a better chance, and he still only cleared it by five. So, uh, yeah, so pass attempts. I'm trying to find them. You have Here, it? I have it. I,
0: yeah, I have it. At 37 and a half for both Goff and Brady. I feel
1: better about Goff going over Brady. I agree. Than Brady. I just think he would be playing from behind a little bit um, and, and push the pass attempts up. It's what happened against the Saints. He got his way back into it. Obviously, overtime he cleared it because he he threw a few passes there in overtime. I think he landed on 40 exactly, and I think Breeze did too. I think they both ended up on 40. Uh, so I, I would feel better about the Goff over on pass attempts than Brady.
0: I, I agree. I think the Pats will uh, be up and will run the ball a bit more. Now, obviously... You could get a series where their runs are James White passes and that makes a world of difference with how often Brady passes uh, the ball to James White. What was it? 17 or 19 targets a couple of weeks back. Um, So that could make a world of difference if they go that game plan. Uh, The front four in the middle is pretty good for the Rams, so maybe they do try to swing it outside. Uh, But I I do agree that I prefer Goff over Brady here in this uh, matchup. I like this one a lot. Total punts in the game uh, because it's an intriguing stat, especially when you think About how well the Patriots control the football, and he talked about the number of plays they ran uh, against the Chiefs. Uh, Over under of seven and a half total punts in the game.
1: Well, it's 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 a good transition into what something we're going to talk about. Belichick is obsessed with Johnny Hecker. Yes, he's now getting to talk about him again. He called him a weapon three times in the press conference the other day, and. I thought it was really funny because that this story came out because I immediately remembered it. and I think I even i at emailed you about it. Uh, he's obsessed with Johnny Hecker about how good a punter he is, I, and this is speaks to Belichick in general about how he is obsessed with winning in the margins. How um, he, you know, for a while there he wouldn't kick kick any touchbacks because he could knew, he knew on average he could gain about two to three yards of. Uh, Field position and with left handed punt. He has left footed punters very often. Historically, he's employed left footed punters. He says there's nothing to it. I guarantee there's something is to it because he feels like he might get a turnover here and there. Um, He's had really great kickers forever. And I think special teams is always really important to him, and I think he's jealous that Hecker is as good as he is. Hecker's a monster, first of all. I don't know if people realize. He's like 6'5", 240. You don't see a lot of punters like that. Uh, of his 12 passing attempts in his career, which they've fake punted a lot, clearly, with him, 11 have gone for first downs. Pretty amazing. So he is a weapon, and just like it did last week where they fake punted and got a first down out of it at a key point when they were down 13 points. So... Um, Anyway, that's my Johnny Hecker rant. Well, I do, I do
0: need one. to pass along, Mike. I do need to pass along. Hecker was held out of practice on Friday for the illness that's passing around Rams camp. I know we have another week yeah. to the game, but just want to make sure great. everybody's aware. Yeah, no, it's not, not a good sign.
1: But um, <laughs> we'll see if they can turn it around in the next nine days or eight days. But um, seven and a half, that feels like a lot.
0: It does. I agree.
1: I'd take the under. Three I agree. or four punts I, I, by each team, you know, three three for one, four for the other. I think the Pats keep running it like they did last week, and I just don't see that. I don't see them going over the seven and a half.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm right there uh, with you. Uh, some other two
1: intriguing punts ones. The, they had two punts against the Chiefs. I don't right. See how many punts the Chiefs had against them. Five. So, even in that 37-31 game, we saw seven
0: punts. Uh, they have uh, on this spreadsheet that uh, Mike pointed out, they have uh, bets per quarter, per half, per. So it's so everything you, so you could bets. want to do. So a lot of these sites now also are doing live betting. So you can get, you know, as the game goes on, changes in some odds and obviously uh, stay on top of uh, the difference there. Will uh, Tom Brady throw an interception? Yes is plus 150. No is minus 170.
1: Yes is plus 150. Yes, sir. Yeah. You got to go. Yes. If you're going to bet that you have to go. Yes. You're not going to make a bunch of money. Uh, You know, Joe Rainieri put this really well when I was working with him on the show last Sunday. Uh, In the long run, you're not going to make money. It's hard to make money in the NFL betting the NFL. That's one. But you're definitely not going to do it betting favorites because of the juice. You have to find a way to pick plus money bets and be sharper with as sharp with it as you right. can. I think, you know, betting spreads isn't something sharp betters do unless they find something egregious. They hammer the money line. And there was a guy last week. Vison is a really good service to give you some Vegas background information. There was a guy who put down three separate six-figure Pats money line bets throughout the week. So he was riding about 550k on the Pats money line. That's a massive return because he was getting the Pats at probably plus 152. By the time the game went off, it was probably plus 142. So yep. there is uh, that's the way to do it. And I'm going to take plus money bets for the most part. I think. I think the first half under is going to end up being a popular bet here because the Pats historically have not scored touchdowns in the first quarter of their Super Bowls. In fact, I don't think they did it last year, which means that in all of their eight Super Bowls, they have not, with the, in the Brady-Belichick area, they have not scored a touchdown uh, in the Super Bowl. In fact, they've had very limited points. I want to go back. We'll, we'll check that during one of the breaks. They've had very limited points in the Super Bowls in the first quarter. So there tends to be a slower start. Um, and even last week against the Chiefs, that was that was all that, all that stuff happened in the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? That game is 7 nothing after the first. It's 14 nothing at halftime because the Chiefs botched the end of the second quarter so badly. So these these games with the Pats and the big games, they tend to start out slow.
0: That uh, makes sense, and there are, uh, if you want to exploit that or at least believe you can exploit that, there is also which half will have more points scored. First half is plus 125. Again, you're betting a favorite here. Second half plus OT is minus 145. Uh, so Vegas agreeing with your analysis there, Mike, that uh, I'll ask we'll you, probably Bruce, see more.
1: Sure. Sony, Sony Michelle rushing yards, 78 and a half. He's blown it away the last two games.
0: <sighs> um, I will say that I think that's a good number. I think that's right in line with where I think this. I'll go over. I think I think Michelle, when all is said and done, does go over 100 yards here. I, I think the second half, Pats are up. You're going to see a lot of him. I'll go. I'll go over there, and I'll be fairly confident in that. How about yourself?
1: I'm going over James White total 66 and a half. That's scrimmage yards, so that's rushing and receiving. Oh, I'm over
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm exactly. way over on that. Exactly.
1: So because we think the Pats
0: are going to win. That's why Pets are going to win. And they've just shown us that James White is, is going to be a part of the game plan. So uh, James we have White last Anderson week oh. had, had 49
1: receiving yards and 23 rushing yards. So that would have gotten them, uh, you know, over 70. Uh, CJ Anderson. Yeah, I have it.
0: 42 and a half, right?
1: Uh, I think you have it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: 40. What do you think? When
1: we hear... Under. Under.
0: I think under two. I think Gurley, Gurley is the main back here, but I also think they just have to throw the ball too much here to keep in it. Plenty to get to here. We're going to talk to Emery Hunt on the other side of this break about the Senior Bowl, NFL draft prospects, and so much more. He's a great guest, so you want to stay tuned for that. Dan and Mike back with more after this on Fantasy Sports Today.
2: Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app 844- the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Your free fantasy source, twenty four hours a day.
0: Dan Straver might blow it back here on Fantasy Sports Day, and very happy to be joined on the phone by Emory Hunt. You can find him on Twitter at fballgameplan. He is down in Alabama at the Senior Bowl. Emery, how you doing this morning?
2: I'm doing fine, man. As always, I appreciate you guys bringing me on.
0: Absolutely. Pleasure to have you here. If you could, uh, I, we'll get into specific players, but can you give everyone a quick synopsis of what Senior Bowl week is, what you're looking at, what scouts are looking at, just sort of how the whole thing comes together?
2: Well, Senior Bowl is, is where you get a, a nice compilation of, of talent from across the the college football landscape. Uh, they go through three practices in front of NFL scouts. Every NFL team is here. A lot of personnel, decision-makers are here. Coaches are here. I saw Pat Sherman as well and, and many other coaches. John Gruden, obviously, is coaching the game, but there are some other coaches that are here, head coaches. So everyone is getting a look at these players. And it's always good to see, from my perspective, because I do broadcasting through the season, I don't get a chance to, to watch a lot of college football during the year. So this starts my uh, film grind, my film study. So I get a, I come in with a clean slate and get a good initial take about these guys before I dive into their film.
1: So Emery, how was Ruth Chris last night, buddy? I know you got a senior bowl <laughs> <of old> tradition.
2: <laughs> how was fantastic, it? Fantastic, yeah, it man. Was. You talk about like the the the, uh, the just the flavor of the meat, and I love my Ruth Chris, man. I'm glad I was able to eat it and get up late today so I could sleep in and sleep that off.
1: Good stuff, good stuff. So uh, I know the game's uh, later today, so you're going to be in in attendance. uh, And Emery and I have worked together in the past on draft coverage. You'll see more from him, hear more from him uh, throughout – Uh, throughout this sort of transitional season after the Super Bowl from him and me and a lot of us here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. So, um, look, there's always the guys that you're looking for. Let's start with the guys that we we had expectations from. So guys like Drew Locke, uh, Debo Samuel, those types of players, who amongst the elite prospects, and I'll put that in quotes, stood out to have a good week this week.
2: I would say number one would be Debo Samuel. And when you look at what he's been able to do, uh, a lot of it, it reminds me a lot of what Braxton Miller did down here where he just constantly wild each and every day uh, with his route running and his ability to make the guy miss and be elusive. The, the difference is that Debo Samuel is actually a, a legit receiver. So he was doing a lot of the same things Braxton Miller was doing from a route running perspective, but he was also catching the football, making spectacular catches. I think he he has the – Jarvis Landry, like suddenness in this game, that's going to make him a problem at the next level. He's a big guy too, so he can catch the football and break tackles and turn into, a, you know, a big play threat once he gets the ball in his hands.
0: What do we got from a uh, under the radar player? Who's a guy that maybe caught your eye that you weren't expecting to have had a good week, or, or somebody who stepped up here and, and increased their draft stock heading towards the spring?
2: I would say it's a guy that that I knew about. Uh, I wrote about him. I would say two years ago, and but he had a he had a really good week. And that's Penny Hart. And when you look at him from Georgia State, uh, a lot of what you heard this week was, "Oh, he looks like Taylor Gabriel." And he was a he was a fantastic player this this week throughout the practices. He kind of stole Andy Isabella's shine coming in. You know, he was the guy that everybody was talking about. He's going to do a great job out here in the Senior Bowl and Penny Hart stole that on day one and, and took it and ran with it. So I thought he did well and I also thought Keelan Doss out of UC Davis did exceptionally well also. He had one of those quiet, consistent weeks out here. He's a big receiver, 6'3", 209. So when you see him, that's a guy that, that is going to probably go in the later rounds but end up being a significant contributor on on a football team because of how well he plays the position.
1: It's funny, guys like Andy Isabella just get, uh, because of the style of receiver that he is, just a smallish guy, but sure handed. And you could see him being a Edelman esque or Welker esque chain mover. People are starting to gravitate towards those guys being bigger prospects than they've been in the past because physically he isn't that impressive, but he's quick and he could catch. And with the current set of rules in the NFL, Emory, these guys are becoming bigger prospects than they were in the past, correct?
2: Absolutely. And because you look at how these offenses open up, you look at let's say another guy that was supposed to be in this game that uh, decided not to participate, and that's Paris Campbell out of Ohio State. He's a bigger slot receiver. And you can just envision him, Andy Isabella, Penny Hart just let's say for instance, using the Saints as an example, put one of those guys in that Saints offense to sure. really just yeah, they will have a field day. So yes, that is now a premier position in the NFL.
0: It's uh, a situation here where. Offensive line, typically at all-star games, isn't something you hone in on. You, you want to see the the skill positions. You want to see the guys who are going to flash the the skill set. But I've read a couple of different write-ups that said the, uh, the North squad had a very good day on Thursday. Uh, and that really opened some things up for Dexter Williams out of Notre Dame at, at running back. Are there any offensive linemen who you think are, are standing out above the fray and could be uh, first-round standouts when the NFL draft runs around?
2: i tell you right now, man, this is a really good crop of offensive linemen, and that report is accurate. When you look at the North squad, you have a guy like um, Boston College's Chris Lindstrom, who has been phenomenal all week. Alabama has a really good lineman on on the South team that, that, that's doing well, and that's uh, Ross Pierce-Bocker, who was a, a wall, an impenetrable wall throughout the week, but on back on the North squad, you got Dalton Reisner from Kansas State, uh, Garrett Bradbury, I thought, did well from NC from State, so Some really good offensive linemen, and whoever needs lineman help, whether it be outside or interior offensive line, there's a ton of prospects. Uh, Titus Howard from Alabama State was the the small school guy coming in that also turned a lot of heads.
1: Dan, you notice how Emory placated me by dropping a BC prospect in there. He knew he 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 had, he knows where his bread is buttered. You know, Lindstrom is actually, he was dominant for years at BC. And it's obviously a position that uh, has placed pretty well uh, for that school in the NFL, but well done, Emory. So look the quarterback thing is always going to be important. Uh, I think on the whole, people understand that the top-end talent at the quarterback position may not be what it was last year, but people are encouraged by the depth at the quarterback position. So you have guys like, despite the fact that Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray aren't down there, Drew Locke is there, Will Greer is there, Daniel Jones is there, and I'm reading a little bit about uh, this Buffalo quarterback, Tyree Jackson, who was 5'9 as a freshman and grew to six seven. Pretty crazy. Uh, that he's now in the mix and being evaluated. He's almost too tall for some NFL evaluators but give me a sense of how this quarterback class has, at least this portion of the quarterback class has rounded out this week
2: You know, it's interesting I'm glad you, you laid it out that way because, I, again, I come in with a clean slate. I just want to see these guys and, and formulate an initial viewing or take from these players and if I had to rank them in that order, it would be Tyree Jackson had the best week. He was the most consistent. Um, Drew Locke was second. And then everyone else kind of had their their moments of practice. So I thought it was Jackson and Locke that really stood out. And everyone else kind of fit in, uh, so to speak, and had certain parts of practice what he did well. But Jackson is an interesting story because I like how he prepared for this week. He came in and told guys at the media day, he was like, listen, um, my process is going to look slow. Because I, I'm working with Jordan Palmer. He's my quarterback coach. And so we're working on making sure I'm, I'm deliberate with my lower body mechanics. So if my process looks slow uh, as far as me throwing the football, don't, don't overly critique me because I'm, I'm doing that on purpose because I'm working through some things. And he did that because that was supposed to help him with his short to intermediate accuracy where, he, where there are some questions, especially in the short area. We know he's the best deep ball thrower in, in, in the draft. But in the short area, he you know, he had to work on touch and placement. And I thought he did that this week because of what he was doing with his low-body mechanics.
1: Uh, so, it, do you buy into the fact that Drew Locke is going to impress and Daniel Jones is too because of... Their ability to be good on the whiteboard. Drew Locke has apparently a really good recall of schemes, and he can read that very well. Daniel Jones, I know some people down at Duke who think, who cut, Cutcliffe thinks the world of Daniel Jones, thinks he's a very smart player and a starter in the NFL. Do you buy that book on those two guys in particular, even if they didn't display all of it this week?
2: I, you know that that's always something that that factors in, and that's, it's funny how all that stuff that you don't really see is what people use to separate certain quarterbacks. But if you judge it strictly on what they'll be actually doing, like playing the game, then <laughs> Daniel Jones shouldn't be in a conversation with Drew Lock and uh, and also Tyree Jackson. But that, you know, what? With all that said, that's why I like staying for the game because, to be honest, some guys are better practice players than others. Some guys are better when the game is is live because in their mind, they can't, you can't fake live action. So we saw this last year with Marcus Davenport of UT San Antonio, who was kind of average throughout the week after being built up to be this superhuman freak. And, you know, he really looked average throughout the week of practices, but he blew up in the game. I like, had two sacks, two forced fumbles, a fumble recover and had a touchdown. So, that right there is something that, that you, you look at. You kind of have to take what you see throughout the week with a grain of salt. So let's hope a guy like Daniel Jones, who looked good in the bowl game, can come in and play well to where he can erase what people saw throughout the week. But to me, it, it, I would say Daniel Jones has to have a big game. Will Greer has to have a big game uh, because of what they showed during the week. Kind of left a lot of people scratching their heads on them as, as premier prospects.
0: Talking to Emery Hunt at FBall Game Plan over there on Twitter. Uh, follow him. Uh, tons of great knowledge over there and uh, writing. And as Mike said, uh, hopefully hear a ton more from him as we head up to uh, the NFL draft this year on FNTSY. Now, Emery, I, you started touching on a topic there that I think is really intriguing. How do evaluators you talk to, uh, head coaches, scouts from the NFL uh, balance that? Balance the what they see, you know, during practice, during the combine-esque sort of run through of drills and the game itself. Do they have an evaluation metric? Do they have an algorithm? Like, what what do you hear from them that they take from each set and what they're looking for?
2: You never really can peg what they're looking for because if it was based on the game, Lamar Jackson would have won number one overall. So. It, it, you know, if it, it's always about something else. It's always about watching, uh, you know, trying to make something make sense. But at the end of the day, it's just football. And if you're doing it, you're doing it. We, You know, we used to talk about this all the time on a show. What blew it is like, you know, size is not a skill. If, that, if I had my team, uh, Tariq Korn would have been a first-round pick because every time I look up, he's putting the ball in the end zone from far away. So when you look at how these guys evaluate – some people really put an emphasis on um, a handshake. Some people put an emphasis on how they sound when they're, you know, uh, at the line of scrimmage with their cadence. I just want the guy that can play football, you know. So, and when you look at how some teams draft, just opposed to how other teams draft, it's clearly evident that some teams have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> uh,
1: how about this from pass rushers? I'm reading that. It's three guys from schools that you wouldn't normally think would jump into the first round, but we saw this from Marcus Davenport last year at a UTSA. So Mississippi State's Montez Sweat, Jalen Ferguson from Louisiana Tech, and O'Shaughnessy Zimenez from Old Dominion are creeping their way into the first round. People are seeing these guys as first-round pass rushers. Is that accurate in your mind?
2: It can be because you know how it is when the draft comes. There's going to be a run-off position, but... All yeah. three of those guys are really good football players. And, and I would rank them in that order that you did. I thought Montez, what well, you guys should remember this. We're, we're about the same age. The movie The Last Dragon, when Bruce Leroy got the close, yeah. that's who Montez Sweat <laughs> a whole week long. And And Ferguson is a big guy, and I think people don't give Ferguson enough credit for his his uh, finesse. Because when you watch him play, he's an old-school D, and he's going he's gonna to beat you up the line of scrimmage. He's going to stop the run. But we saw during one-on-one periods that he has a little bit of finesse with him as far as finding different ways to get to the quarterback. So he's going to be a really good pass rusher. And Shimenez is is another one that everyone talks about leading up to this week, but now you're starting to see it pay off. I want to say Thursday practice, he really stood out both in one on ones and in team drills. So, yes, all three guys, especially if they start that run on defensive edge rushers at the top of the draft as it's probably expected to be, um, then you're going to see guys get pushed up. Just like
0: quarterbacks, to get pushed up into the first round. Emery, I'm wondering what uh, the vibe is around there about uh, John Gruden. I, I, I mainly just want to hear any stories, anything that's come from being down there, simply because we all saw what happened at the beginning of the year. We saw how the Raiders struggled, but he is such a charismatic and funny and straightforward talker when it comes to everything have you have you had any interactions or have you heard anything uh stories you can pass along about somebody who obviously nfl fans uh appreciate at least for the sound bites he gives us each and every week
2: i'll tell you this so uh they were also at uh rude chris last night with me so uh, <laughs> seeing, them, seeing them interact amongst each other is pretty cool and and you can tell John Gruden is a genuine guy. So is Mike Mayock, genuine, nice guy, um, really cares about their craft. And well, he went to B.C., the-
1: Emory. Mayock went
0: to well, B.C. Exactly. He's obviously I'm, a great guy. I forgot
2: to that. see. That's the second <laughs> thing i got for you in this, in this uh, segment. You know, so <laughs> when you look at um, Gruden at practice, and I, I think during media day he kind of was more deliberate in pronouncing what he, was, what he wanted to say. Um, he sounded a lot better – Today, day, or I'm sorry, on media day than he did at the Combine. Um, so that shows like the year of football has, got, you know, gave him some perspective and now he's more focused on what he really has to do to move this organization forward.
1: That's a good point. I, I think he did find himself in hot water with certain comments that he made. It, it's tough going from I would imagine it's a tough transition. First of all, he's out of locker rooms for for the most part for 10 years, and now he, he found himself answering questions, and he couldn't be as entertaining, just pure entertainment, as he wanted to be. He had to be focused on what was good for the Raiders, and he got in hot water by talking about, well, uh, pass rushers are hard to get when he had just traded the best one in the league and talking about other items that made him look foolish so maybe it'll help him in his second year one last guy uh, i want to ask you about uh ohio state wide receiver terry mclaurin was the best receiver on the north team according to one afc scout is he a guy that to watch
2: yeah absolutely and, he, and that scout is right when you look at mclaurin you you like wow what was this all year but he scored 11 touchdowns he's been there all year i think people just kind of looked at the other receivers and kind of forgot yeah. about him and he kind of made them pay each and every day in one on ones. I don't think he dropped the ball all week.
0: Emory, before we close out this segment, anybody who uh, see their stock drop here at the Senior Bowl?
2: And I wouldn't say stock drop. I would say it probably made people go back and look at the film. And you know, I, I think a lot of people are doing that. Unfortunately, with Andy Isabella, don't forget all the receptions he had, all the yards he had, all the touchdowns he had. Don't let this week of practice deter you from a guy that's going to be a, a terror on on Sundays in the NFL.
0: Emory Hunt, thanks so much for the time. You can find him F Ball Game Plan on Twitter, and you should hear from him more on FNTSY. Thanks so much, Emory.
1: Appreciate you
2: guys.
1: All right, talk to you soon, E. Thanks, man. Uh- Amazing
0: content there uh, from Emory. More to come from him. And uh, again, follow him over on Twitter. uh, Check out all of his content. Great stuff. Great guests. Look forward to talking to him again in the future. We have one more segment to go before I skedaddle and George Kurt slides into the chair here on Fantasy Sports Today. Dan Strafford, Mike Blewett coming back with more on the other side of this break. Thanks so much for listening to Fantasy Sports Radio Network. to wager on sports or never have and would like to try, head on over to BetDSI. They have wagering options for almost any sport you can think of, including sides, totals, and player props, where you can utilize your daily fantasy skills without salary cap constraints. You can even wager on esports, politics, and reality TV or get an edge through live betting on Bet DSI where you can wager virtually anytime during a contest capitalizing on in-game circumstances. There are so many ways you can make money. Use the promo code FNTSY100 when signing up and get a 100% bonus deposit match. So head on over and open your account at Bet DSI. That's promo code FNTSY100 to get your 100% Bonus deposit match. Uh, when I was looking through before, BetDSI has a ton of uh, prop bets as well. They have all the broadcasting, all of the musical, uh, all of the commercial prop bets. Uh, if you want to go down that road, they have some political prop bets as well. Uh, they have some gambling prop bets. Which state is going to have the largest handle for the day? Uh, so there, there is oh, a really? lot going on. Yep. Uh, so they have a, a bet of uh, state with the largest Super Bowl uh, fifty-three betting handle: Nevada minus five thousand, New-, New Jersey plus 100 field any other state plus plus eight thousand. uh
1: I mean throw 20 bucks on the plus plus eight thousand. Exa- exa- exactly, right. It exactly can't right exactly right come on Mississippi it's gonna be Vegas uh, in
0: two years I think Jersey's got a shot uh best thing Jersey has going for it but uh total <laughs> amount wagered on I'm, I'm a Jersey Jersey boy born and bred so uh what here, town here we are, are you from originally what? Ta- well, I I was I have to make sure my mother's not listening. I was born in Brooklyn, so I have to cite that I go. was born in Brooklyn. Um, right. I grew up in Old Bridge, New Jersey, uh, Old Bridge, New Jersey, and I I went to Rutgers. So I, I'm a a Scarlet a night. night, yes, sir. Uh Glenn Foley of Boston College fame famously said, "The only bowl they're going to is the toilet bowl." So, <laughs> um. There one of my—I
1: I have to say—one of my best friends from high school, though, is a legend in, in Rutgers football. He played in the NFL uh, for like nine years. Marco Battaglia? That's right. That's it. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's one of my good friends from high school. We uh, played high school football together, and uh, I've known him for twenty-five, thirty years. So, yeah,
0: the practice field yeah. and practice field is I now know. named after him at Rutgers. I, I broadcast at Rutgers games for for uh, four and a half years. That's uh no, that's great. My that's a uh, good. We we got to talk so some more. You know, like, we, we yeah,
1: like, yeah. We gotta so talk. you know, you know Marco well. Yeah. So this is the first time Dan and I have worked together yes. formally. I think we may have been on like uh, guest spots or whatever together, but um. Uh, but so for those of you, we're just like getting to know each other. So that's this yeah. good. That's good. Keep it going.
0: This is good. Uh, I do want to get your personal take here. And this is not a shot across the bow about Antonio Brown. But I do want to get your take here. As we close out the two hours, I'm on with you. George Kurtz coming up next. Uh, more Super Bowl talk coming your way, of course, here on Fantasy Sports Today. I, I you know, the the whole, uh, what was it, Terrell Owens came out and said that, uh he should be moving on and that the, he's he's done in Pittsburgh and the, the yeah. fracture of the relationship with Ben. One, do you take that as the truth? Do you think Owens is in a position to uh, speak for A.B.? I know that he has been a mentor to no. him. And two, I agree with you, and Emery just talked about a lot of wide receivers. If A.B. were to move on, not talking about someone replacing Antonio Brown... But who's somebody that you're looking at in the college ranks or even free agent that you would want to see come into Pittsburgh uh, to help try to fill the void of an Antonio I think Brown.
1: they've actually already done that. I think James Washington would be the guy that would become a an immediate number 2 option. He was an extremely prolific wide receiver at Oklahoma State. So I think they were backfilling, not with the thought that Antonio Brown would be gone, but I think they were backfilling trying to add depth to that receiving core. Uh, would they draft somebody over James? Washington to take his spot? Probably not. I think they would probably round it out with Juju as a number one. The Steelers have done a really good job this decade in evaluating and developing wide receiver talent obviously uh it started at the end of the last decade with mike wallace and they moved on from him and then they had antonio brown obviously they developed emmanuel sanders they're now developing juju smith schuster so i think on some level they have to receive credit for doing a good job at the position for the last decade i i I'd be hard-pressed to find another team that could roll out the names that I just rolled out with that level of success that they had. So I I don't know that addressing that would be an immediate need, maybe maybe filling in with some uh, veteran or mid-range wide receivers. They won't have a lot of cap room. Obviously, they'll be shedding Antonio's number, so that gives them $20 million to work with, but uh, they have other needs, too. Uh, They're not going to address wide receiver in the draft in the first couple of rounds. It won't happen
0: makes sense to me and uh, again for those of you who uh, didn't hear the last segment uh, you will be able to uh, catch it uh, on replay uh, shortly but to Emery amazing guest and somebody that uh, I've listened to here on the network before check out his work uh, F ball game plan but uh, he's he's in it down there uh, in Alabama watching it every day and uh, those are the intriguing people to talk to uh, to mix together a lot of what I love in the analytics and the statistical analysis with the eyeball you know with with, you have to see it and uh, I think he made a great point around uh, the idea of watching the game being there for the game don't just go to the evaluations but seeing who steps forward in actual gameplay um these are fine-tuned athletes who have done this their uh entire life at this point where a lot of these guys are are being groomed to a certain extent uh, to try to make the nfl and uh uh, to famously quote Alan Averson, we're talking about practice. Uh, practice yeah. can can be a slow move for a lot of these guys, especially as they're trying to make sure they don't make any big mistakes. You know, that's a lot of the talent evaluation here. Just do the things right. Maybe you're not going to excel. And then in the gameplay, uh, you show what your true talent is and how that all comes together. But uh, great stuff from him uh, and a great yeah. discussion. want to get, Mike, uh, your take on what's happening in Carolina with the Panthers. Uh, you have... Arthroscopic shoulder surgery for Cam Newton. Now, they're saying yeah. he's going to be ready for OTAs. No big issue. Uh, cleanup procedure. I love that. Any surgery, a cleanup procedure, but fine. Uh, cleanup pr- procedure on his throwing shoulder. This was a, an enigmatic year. He still was a fine fantasy football play because of the running. He didn't run as much, but he gave you enough week over week. Do you think this is the beginning of the end of Cam Newton as a a, a fantasy stalwart at the QB position? And is it time for the thought process to be? He has taken a lot of hits. He has done a lot with his body that he may be on the other side of a a true quarterback career in the NFL. Well,
1: father time is undefeated to use the line that everybody likes to use. Uh, I think it's true. I think it remains true. You know, Cam this year, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, he's like 12 or 13th uh, amongst fantasy QBs. I think that's probably where he, he he could remain for the next few years. He always has the ability to rip it off in a big way. I think their wide receiver talent there has been pretty rough. And uh, now Greg Olson is likely to retire. Christian McCaffrey's in a, a tremendous talent but a great safety valve that isn't going to push the ball down the field for you. I think DJ Moore is a nice addition, but the, and Curtis Samuel is an interesting addition, but they'll probably need another guy because they're going to move on from Devin Funches and Greg Olson is probably going to retire. So they're going to need another weapon there. Uh, I think whatever they tell you publicly, there's been other indications that the Panthers are concerned. It doesn't right. mean that they're going to take a quarterback in the first round, But I think any time a guy with this track record of getting hit as many times as he's been hit, and if you look at the numbers since Cam Newton has come into the league and the number of times he's been hit versus others, he's hundreds of hits out in front. Andrew Luck has taken a ton of hits from his time in the league. In that same time frame, Cam Newton's taken way more than Andrew Luck. Right. So uh, it doesn't matter that he's the biggest, most athletic quarterback that the league has ever seen, and he is. He's the he's the big he's the most athletic specimen that the quarterback positions ever seen. And the guy's six five. He's two forty five, and he's a ridiculous athlete. It doesn't mean that he's as quick as Mike Vick, for example, but. The total package, he's right there. And I think he tried to prove it a lot. And he's taken a beating. And I I just think that it's something you have to be concerned about. But I'm not going to hang him up for Cam yet. I I don't think he's there. Uh, But, you know, for me, uh, I'm always going to be risk-averse when it comes to – guys with injury histories, so i probably fade Cam in most fantasy drafts for next year. I, I have for the last few years, so I did miss out on the MVP season, but I just started to get worried. There were injuries piling up for him and the level of hits that he takes and, and the lack with which the Panthers address the offensive line issues have me concerned long-term.
0: Yeah, I, I think... Uh, great analysis. And uh, I, I would uh, echo the sentiment that I think he'll be fine... In 2019 and even beyond, uh, but I don't know the draft equity I'm going to have to spend to get him going to be worthwhile. Um, And I I think that you're going to have to overspend on someone like Cam Newton, even though there are a number, uh, maybe even a majority are detractors of Cam as a quarterback. um, I still think his fantasy football appeal uh, continues to be higher uh, than the potential floor return you're going to get from him. On a season-long basis, and that's the it's, top, it. Just the top is, three
1: QBs. That, go ahead, sorry, Dan. The top three QBs no, in fantasy this year were Mahomes, Matt Ryan, and Ben Roethlisberger, and you didn't have to draft any of them before the ninth round in any league.
0: Right, we're seeing a little bit of a, a sea change here in football uh, that. The, the the pass is the the offense. Yes, there are plenty of good running backs and yes, offensive lines are still opening up holes, but uh, the the rules you talked about it before in the NFL are are continuing to become lighter and lighter on wide receivers and on quarterbacks. And so the statistical change is going to be on those who can throw and run, right? Like so it's going to be those who can throw a whole lot but get 20 to 30 yards on the ground every once in a while that really change the floor for any of these quarterbacks. Think of someone like Mitchell Trubisky, like Trubisky is one of those quarterbacks. Who's not very accurate. Like When you watch Trubisky uh, game in game out and you watch him during warmups, you even watch the skill competition out at the pro bowl. He's a little sketchy there, but he rushes for 30 to 50 yards a game. Josh Allen, same. You're going to get these guys who have better floors and Cam Newton's injuries are warranting enough for me that the price I need to pay for him while there are other quarterbacks bringing similar floors to, to each week, uh, I, I'm going to stay away in 2019. Now, obviously, if something drastically happens in ADP or or something changes uh, injury wise, that, that can change completely. If he all of a sudden becomes a value where I can get him uh, pennies on the dollar later on in a draft uh, and see some upside, then that's a different story, especially talking something like best ball. Uh, but uh, that is a, a topic I think we'll come back to. To. The 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 Panthers have discussed they think he'll be fine he'll be there for OTAs he won't have any issues uh but uh we'll be uh, uh ready to go so we'll keep an eye on that I want to get your opinion yeah, I, on one I, more to, thing to here to talk
1: okay. to you Dan about the uh, about trends in general I mean it, when we got down to the final four teams four those four teams are in the top five in passing offenses uh this season and I think it's becoming more apparent if it if it hadn't been apparent to anyone before this season. This season showed you that your ability to push, it down, push the ball downfield via the pass is just the way to make your offense more efficient. Uh, I, I get that I've been harping on how good the New England running game is, but I think it's indicative of the fact that they can do either. Uh, you don't have to have balance in the NFL. I think that's an overstated term. But the patch yep. have it, and it's just—it's it happens to be valuable. You know, all of the teams that were left were able to do both things on offense, but it's their ability to push the ball downfield via the pass that made them so good.
0: Yep, and it's uh, oftentimes we hear establish the run for the play action, but we're seeing more and more that the uh, pass helps to establish the run the other way around, Mm -hmm. uh, where you you get out ahead, you have big passing stats, and then the run comes in in the third and fourth quarter. When you look at the box score, it's all equal, Uh, but uh, during the actual game flow uh, is a different story. What is get your take here before we close out on a little bit of a fun topic that is happening up in this part of the woods, and you were here during... I believe the start of Wes Welker's uh, career here in uh, New England, in Massachusetts, has been a big comparison between Wes Welker and Julian Edelman. And who is better? Who is the better wide receiver? Obviously, they played almost in two different NFLs, even though they both had Drew Brees, uh, Sorry, Drew Brees, uh, Tom Brady as their quarterback. The NFL has evolved greatly since Wes Walker was a slot receiver for the Pats. Do you have any take on the comparison there? It's been a hotly debated topic up here uh, over the past week or so.
1: Well, Welker never won a Super Bowl with them, ironically, so people are going to favor Edelman because he was a Super Bowl hero against Atlanta with the famous catch, and I think people like the fact that he plays with such an edge and a chip on his shoulder. I find him unlikable to most of the other fan bases. I'm an often Edelman owner in Fantasy League, so I like him on that level for sure, but I think he talks a lot of trash and people don't like it. He's got something to say after every play. He's a little chippy at times. And I think people don't like it. But if you're asking me and look, they both benefited from being in an extremely well run offense with an amazing head coach, offensive coordinator, and one of the greatest football players in the history of the game and Tom Brady. So um, they're both trust me when he's, I hate saying that they are products of the system, Because every player is to some extent. Drew Brees is a product of Sean Payton's system. It doesn't mean he isn't fantastic. So both players benefit from that. But if you're asking me from a wide receiver skill standpoint, I think Welker's a slight edge for me. But I could see the argument for Edelman.
0: I, I get it. I I just think Welker is by far the better receiver, and maybe that's me appreciating the fact that he didn't win a Super Bowl with the Pats. So I feel a little bit uh, more of a kindred spirit there. If I had to choose one, uh, Edelman is the guy on the Pats that I dislike the most. Um, Obviously, it's easy to dislike Tom Brady because he wins so much, but Edelman's the the gritty guy who, if he was on my team, I'd absolutely love. Um, but uh, being on the Pats, he's the guy who I look at and go, ah, hey, you know, take your edge somewhere else. Uh, do what you got to do elsewhere. Um, as we talked about uh, earlier, we have uh, our show next week before the Super Bowl, obviously. So we'll be able to go through uh, each and every aspect of it. You said you thought Pats uh, minus uh, two and a half, minus two. Is there a, a spread? Is minus three too much for you in that game? Or, or do you still even go Pats minus three uh, when all is said and done?
1: I still would. But if, uh, you know, it, when you're talking gambling, you got to jump on it right now. Because yeah. I don't think it'll move up a full point, but it could. Um, and there's some books that already have it at Pats minus three, so that could be a trend uh, that heads that way. You'll see a little bit of a lull right here, but money will start to come in really heavy towards the end of next week, and it could push it up a full point. So if you want the Pats, you need to take them right now.
0: And we do have a media day coming up, which is always a spectacle unto itself. Uh, not really any substance that comes out of it, but usually some funny videos uh, here and there. Uh, Brady and Belichick have done this so many times over. I'm sure we'll just hear a rinse and repeat of previous answers. Great stuff, uh, Mike and myself. Thanks so much for listening. Coming up next, it's uh, Fantasy Sports Day continuing. I'm stepping aside. George Kurt sliding in. Uh, I'll be back next week with Mike, and then uh, we'll continue on from there. Thanks so much for listening. George and Mike coming up on the other side of this break. It's Fantasy Sports today right here on none other than the Fantasy Sports
2: Radio Network. That's T S Y. Back with more after this.